0: Hello and welcome to Comic Book Decalogue. My name is Greg Hunter, recording from a Comics Journal satellite lab in Minneapolis, Minnesota, New Comic City, USA. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, it poses the same ten questions to a different cartoonist with each installment. I'm only its vessel. Anders Nilsson is the guest on this, our 14th episode. Anders is the cartoonist responsible for Big Questions, Rage of Poseidon, poetry as a useless and other acclaimed work. He is a multiple-time Eggnats winner, and Big Questions in particular was awarded the Lynn Ward Graphic Novel Prize, as well as being a New York Times notable book. Now, he's almost certainly the biggest figure in alternative cartooning to do an adult coloring book. Drawn Quarterly describes A Walk in Eden as an exquisite mix of sprawling landscapes and close-up examinations of plants, fungi, and minerals. That book arrives this month. A careful listener might notice that I used the term receptance at one point during the following recording, and you're right, that is not a word. I know it's not a word, but also I hurt my foot only days before this one happened, and it's still a great interview. If you want to discover or revisit earlier installments of this podcast, you can find them in the iTunes feed of our sister podcast, Mike Dawson's TCJ Talkies. There are more to come, including an interview with Trungles next month. And now, 10 questions with Anders Nilsson. Our first question is, what's the last comic you finished reading?
1: Oh, I'm, I like, don't really read comics.
0: <laughs> uh... If you chart... The you know the decline in the regularity of your comics reading is it you know is it a, a slow decline like how actually how I, steep I, is
1: the slope how steep is the slope it was maybe medium steep several years ago and now it's fairly leveled off um, the last comic I read I think was Gange's five it's mm-hmm. a good answer it's a great comic, I like comic. <laughs> it was a great comic. <laughs> I'd I'd seen it uh, as it was getting put together and it was really nice to read the whole thing all in one piece.
0: Now, I saw actually in revisiting Dogs and Water before this interview that Kevin uh, Hysang is one of the people you thank in that book. How long have no. you and he been uh, I don't know, colleagues?
1: Well, he was... We were both sort of in the Chicago area vaguely. I mean, he grew up in Chicago. I think... I think when i met him he was still not he hadn't moved to st louis yet but we probably met in like 02 or 03 i think the first i heard of him was i was going i was in quimby's and i think it was still the original hannah who originally ran quimby's or maybe not originally but back then um Mentioned that this there was this other young cartoonist who had seen my work and had been asking about me and wanted to meet me. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then and I think she pointed me to Super Monster, which was his comic at the time. And I read it, and I don't know if we started corresponding or or if we maybe didn't meet until I wonder if we actually first met at SPX in like oh2 or
0: something like that. So I've known him a long time our second question question number two is what cartoonist doesn't get enough praise
1: what cartoonist doesn't get enough praise there's this guy robert sergal i mean it's hard for me to know who gets praise and who doesn't because i don't really follow the comics media that much but uh he's not a name that seems to pop up that much um but i'm a big fan of his work he does uh what I know of his work is uh, his, his mini-comics. I think there's a collection coming out maybe right around now. He's got this kind of like weird, very clean, sort of generic, uh, intentionally sort of generic drawing style, um, and then tells these kind of strange, absurdist, uh, non-sequitur kind of little stories that I think are super compelling.
0: And question number three, the inverse of that question: What's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with? I feel like you're smiling at my affect, honors, but I have to do it. <laughs> this is for posterity.
1: That I can't connect with—that is a very diplomatic way of saying. It. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, the first—the first thing I thought of. I don't, well, I hesitate to say this because he's one of my. Some of his work is like some of my favorite work, but. People love Chester Brown's Louis Riel. Like I said, I mean, his early work, The Happy Clown is one of my all-time favorite books. Louis Riel, I have always uh, been confused by what it is that people see in that book.
0: Mm-hmm. In rereading some of the press around big questions in advance of this interview, I remember you citing Ed in particular and in, you know the manner in which came together and evolved as an influence with louis riel is it the manneredness of it by comparison
1: it feels like a term paper to me like it feels like he's just sort of recording facts and he's sort of i mean the thing i love about ed and the and like I Never Liked You and the Playboy is that it's very human and it's very, it sort of revels in the strangeness of humanity and the kind of warmth. There's a lot of warmth, I think. Understated, but but it's this very kind of recognizably human. And there's like glee, like Ed the Happy Clown is a very like fun, gleeful romp in a way. You know, it's everybody. Everybody likes to comment on the extensive notes in Brown's more recent books. Uh, it feels a little bit to me with Real that it's like he really was having more fun with the notes. I haven't read uh, the new one yet. I'm sort of I've heard really good things, so I'm I'm looking forward to reading it. The prostitution book felt the same to me. It felt like coldly like he was trying too hard to be objective. I feel like comics comics are not great at being at telling objective stories. Mm-hmm. They're just such a inherently subjective medium because it's they're, you know you're looking at something drawn by the hand of the author. I feel like trying to make them sort of coldly clinical is just a wild goose chase or something.
0: And question number 4 you can send one comic back in time to yourself at age 14. What is that comic, and why? I think age 14 is probably when I, like,
1: started... Probably, maybe right before I started reading weirder stuff. So I feel like I kind of did send myself some stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I sent myself could be raw, a loop. raw and weirdo, and... World War Three and stuff like that. Um, I also feel like that's a hard question because it's it's at that age that you you start to kind of codify, like, that's when you form your own personal canon, is, is like, in those years of, like, 12 through maybe 14, 15, 16, 18. I guess, actually, you know, the stuff that I came across later, like, in my early 20s, um, Jason Lute's work. Um, Chester Brown's work like if I had had that stuff at 14 maybe it would have taken me less time to get around to doing comics Mm -hmm. like I would have sort of understood that I could really do what I wanted um, artistically in comics rather than trying to you know go off into painting and installation art
0: well how long was that I don't know I don't want to call it a digression but in finding your way to comics were you studying at, you know, a fine arts institution or at art
1: school? In an art so. program, yeah, at, at a university, yeah. Yeah, so from, you know, from age 18 till age 27, I think I pretty much was focused on painting and installation art and was you know eventually was kind of doing comics or like here and there on the side was doing comics or doing more storytelling kinds of work but but focused on a on a kind of high art career
0: was there a come to jesus moment for you with comics or did the proportions there just the proportion of the work you were doing just change incrementally uh the com- work the cartoonist...
1: <laughs> The come to Jesus moment was doing this little children's book for my my sister who was her turn six in ninety eight. I did it in over the course of, a, of two years, but it was right around the time that I graduated from college and had been doing, you know, working on this giant installation project, and then doing a little children's book for her was sort of my thing on the side. And after, you know, after, by the time I was done with it, it was just so obvious that it was really fun. Mm -hmm. And the other stuff was like also fun, but just felt more esoteric and more kind of like, or more removed from real life in some way.
0: Question number five. I ask this knowing that your, your level of engagement with comics day to day Uh, may not be what it was as a reader some years back uh, but we asked what's a change you'd like to see across the comics industry?
1: That's a tough one I probably should have (laughs) have been nice to be able to think about it for a while. I don't know one thing that I sort of was thinking about the other day I I, uh, did this um, reading event with some other cartoonists here in Minneapolis and I really like doing readings And I think that the comics world doesn't... I mean, there's a bunch of people that do them or, like, have little, you know, reading series or whatever. Robert Sikoriak does one. uh, I don't know, a few other people. But I really, like, I love doing that. And I think it's sort of an interesting way to... to Potentially interesting way to encounter that work. And I wish there was more sort of infrastructure and... and, uh, comfort with that i feel like sometimes comics audiences are a little unsure of how to respond or how to absorb Mm -hmm. that stuff um whereas like with my last book it was sort of weirdly embraced by the poetry community in some way and so i ended up doing a bunch of poetry events Mm -hmm. and in my experience i mean that some poets have quibbled with this but it seems like poets are sort of more Uh, ready for they sort of understand how a reading works and like what what to expect and stuff
0: well this is a question that cuts both ways as much that i wasn't able to make it to that literary death match on (laughs) saturday so i don't know what your reads are like (laughs) but I, i ought to ask in terms of performance how much planning do you put into a reading what is you know the the duty of the artist in adapting a comic as, you know, a read
1: text? Well, I think, I mean, this sort of, in a way, counters what I just said, but I feel like a reading is a different kind of artwork, you know, it's a different medium than a comic. So, which is one of the reasons, it's like a, like over time I've sort of figured out ways to adapt my work to, to function better in a reading context. Um, but you know, you, I think you really do have to do that. Like, you can't just project a comics page and start reading. Um, that often doesn't work that well, or or even just like panel after panel after panel. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm thinking for for some comics that works fine, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it, for me, like, it's it's important to actually kind of like take a look at the work, break it down in some way, and sort of consider how an audience is going to uh, absorb it differently than, than having two pages in front of
0: them. Question number six. Inasmuch as you had sort of a roundabout path toward being a cartoonist, I don't know how germane this question is, but we ask, what's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning?
1: The closest I've come to... I've never come close to quitting cartooning. Uh, taking breaks and working on you know just working on large scale drawings or or whatever but i i'm it would be like quitting eating or something it's just like it's just so much how I see the world and want to communicate so yeah it would never it would never occur to me i mean i had I had some kind of like carpal tunnel problems years and years ago, so I had to consider what would happen if I couldn't draw. <laughs> Uh, what
0: was your answer to that question?
1: Panic. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, i sort of was like, okay, would I learn how to draw with my left hand? Would I Learn how to like probably try to like learn to play music or something or sing. I don't know. I mean, I would be, I would be bereft. It would be a, a big
0: bummer. <laughs> and question number seven: What's the best advice you've heard about making comics?
1: The best advice I've heard about making comics... I mean, I don't know. Try to have fun.
0: (laughs) Is there a work of your own that you can point to where in the creation of that work, comics felt most like work?
1: Most like work?
0: Yeah. I mean, I know know you you approach it as if it were, you know, a a a 40-hour-a-week job, Mm -hmm. but
1: it feels the most like work when you're done with the book and then you get proofs and you, or you get, you know, basically editing, like big questions in particular was this sort of like endless six month editing job, mm-hmm. which was completely necessary, but was just mind numbing after a while. Cause you have to read through this book, like a 600 page book, like, four, five times looking for commas and, and of course I could, every time I read it, I saw stuff that needed to get fixed or I wanted to get fixed or like nobody probably would notice but me, but I really, you know, couldn't leave it alone. So, so yeah, that, that editing, that sort of like the end of the editing process can be really, really tedious and, and like painful.
0: Um, now that you're, Many years, or at least a few years, removed from the publication of that book, can you revisit big questions without seeing the things that would have bothered you during the proofing stage? Where is that with you? I yet? think
1: with big questions, I still, especially the the earlier parts of it, certain parts of it, I still would. It would be hard to me, hard for me, not to look at it critically. Mm-hmm. The, like the end of it, I'm pretty happy with. I think Dogs and Water might be the, well, I don't know. I've, I've gotten better with it, too. Dogs and Water I'm pretty happy with, and I, I can sort of look at it fondly and not, not be so critical. Is that um, because
0: the scope of it is smaller? I was going to ask you about that book, actually, You know, in comparison to Big Questions, which mm-hmm. is the, I don't know how you feel about the word tome. It's like something mm-hmm. critics should never use because a <laughs> cliche, but here, here we are. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, certainly the scope of those two books is, is very different
1: sure um uh no i wouldn't say it's because of that i think it's just time and distance like when i when that book was when dogs and water was first published i was like like i hated it i thought it was a total failure so with some time and distance i've been able to kind of like you know just take a deep breath and and kind of look at it as like this was me figuring out how to tell stories and how to be a cartoonist, um, which a lot of a lot of big questions actually is too. But big questions is tougher because it went on for so long that there's such a huge difference from the beginning to the end in my like skill level. And whereas Dogs and Water really, in a way, is this kind of little capsule of my early way of working.
0: Do you think Dogs and Water is the closest? you'll ever come to a straight up genre piece? Which is, I don't know if I would say it's
1: totally a straight genre piece, but it's a little closer closer to that, maybe. I guess. I don't know. Uh, The piece, the thing I'm working, the graphic novel I'm working on right now is like probably similar uh, in that it sort of brushes up against genre. And actually, I mean, there's a lot of the stuff that I do does in some way or another. It's like, Rage of Poseidon, you know, sort of was about all these kind of mythological stories and stuff. Um, so there's kind of a fantasy element. It's it's part of the, you know, even if I'm, if I sort of stick myself in the artistic slash literary camp of comics or whatever, like comics has this super important connection to low culture and genre. And that's something that I'm definitely interested in.
0: As a side question, since you mentioned it, when you encounter people who aren't familiar at all with your corner of comics making, how do you describe to them the sort of work you create? Uh,
1: I generally don't waste a lot of breath time. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, one, any single description might work for one of my books, but it probably wouldn't work for the other four, you know, for four of the other ones or whatever. So... You know I'll sort of talk about like fables for adults or experimental work or something I don't know
0: yeah and question number eight what's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist <laughs> all my decisions have been brilliant decisions. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I mean I think it's inevitable so it's not something I would ever take back but I think the fact that I've worked in so many different modes has probably not been the greatest career move. Like I think probably people that come upon one of my books and really like it and then they look at the next book and it looks completely different. I think that's a recipe for like selling fewer books, mm. but it's sort of, you know, it's like a thing that I couldn't, I couldn't help. Like I, it's just what I want to do. Like I want to explore different, different ways of working and, um, the sort of you know the, the like I love that comics has so many potential ways of getting ideas across so
0: I want to play in terms of those different modes and different mm-hmm. books is this something that you've actually heard anecdotally about receptions to your own work I don't know if like crossover success is the term for big questions but you know that of course got reviewed in the New York Times right um, right how large do you think that contingent of readers is that came to that book based on the press it was getting at the time, but then would have tried next to read something like Dogs in Water and maybe... Had, had well, I mean, I think, that. I think
1: you know, readers of those two books probably would, would get, you know, they would kind of get it. Like, it would, those two books make sense together. Sure. But then, like... Rage of Poseidon, I can see. The, of is, like, this completely other thing. And uh, Poetry is Useless is, a, again, a completely different thing. And the two monologues books are just, like, this other sort of weird left field experiment. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, when those books came out, of all, of all my work, those are the two that, that critics and fans, some people love them people who love them really love them and people who don't like them really don't like Mm -hmm. them. Um, and I think it was sort of confusing or people, people felt like I was like purposely trying to be, you know, be troublesome and be like kind of a jerk or something. (laughs) Uh, but you know, I mean, it's like, whatever, be that and you know, that's
0: fine. And question number nine, what work from another medium has influenced you the most? I guess if we're talking, are we talking about
1: artwork of some sort?
0: I would say the question is open-ended by design.
1: <laughs> that's influenced me most. I mean, the stuff that's influenced me the most, I'm sort of, I'm sort of torn between talking about like certain historians or, uh, like science writing, uh, versus talking about music. But uh, there's a I don't know whatever there's a guy named Daniel Higgs who's a uh, was a singer in a band called Longfish and now does some of his own his own stuff and also was a tattoo artist um, but his work with Longfish was like super influential to me uh, he was a lyricist and crazy person um, still can't get enough of that stuff so I'll I'll, I'll say him all right.
0: And our last question, question number 10. Aliens have made contact with Earth. They seem benevolent, but we still want to make a good impression. You've been selected to introduce them to comics. What do you show them first? Maybe like Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. <laughs> or something,
1: yeah. Or Tintin. One of those. Maybe Tintin.
0: Were those some of your earliest introductions to the forum? Uh Calvin and
1: Hobbes came along when I was like probably in high school. So in that case no. Um Tintin was the first comics I ever read mm-hmm. and was obsessed with. Um but I think Calvin and Hobbes is just a really like it's sort of classic kind of perfect populist daily cartooning of the the four panel variety which is sort of, you know, maybe the perfect form of comics and it's just sort of brilliantly like it does a really nice job of sort of talking about humanity in a sort of generally optimistic fun way so i think that like it's a good way to sort of (laughs) introduce humans in their best light sure
0: puts a happy face on us too yeah all right we'll end on that thank you very much all right